Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the podcast, A Light Unto My Path. I'm your host, Howard Sides. Uh, we're going to finish up our study on this thought that we've been talking about here in our spot in Revelation here, chapter 4, verse 1. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And I, I debated on whether I'd just go ahead and read uh, a portion of Scripture that we've actually been using as a reference in, in the book of Luke. But I'm, I'm just going to read uh, this verse uh, 1 of chapter 4 in Revelation and uh, finish up this thought, uh, what happens when I die. Okay, Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now, obviously this verse is talking about things in the future. And in our um, specific study here about what happens when I die, we've been talking about things... Uh, past, present, and future, and, and how all the realms of existence affect or influence uh, what happens. Of course, there are three realms, which are heaven, earth, and the underworld, and we've been in this part of the underworld. We're going to finish that uh, study up today, and then we'll get into um, the next part of that, which are three resurrections. There are three uh, resurrections. Uh, but anyway, in our three realms, we're finishing up here in the underworld. Um, four parts to the underworld. Uh, one, of course, uh, it's not really a part of the underworld, but it, we talked about human beings. First of all, what happens to the body, and then what happens to the soul. Um, and of course, the soul is important. Uh, there's two different things uh, that affect what happens to the soul. Uh, well, first would be if they're saved, and, and then the other being if they're unsaved, and, and how this underworld affects or <clears throat> where people would end up, and that sort of thing. So uh, we've talked about uh, human beings. We've talked about the parts of the underworld, the, the first hell. Uh, we've talked about Tartarus. Uh, we've also talked about the abyss or the bottomless pit. And today we're going to finish up this thought on the second or final hell. It's also called the Lake of Fire, which most uh, people would recognize what you're talking about when you talk about the Lake of Fire, uh, who know the Bible or have studied it for some point. Okay, um, the Lake of Fire in the Bible, uh, there's two words used to describe this place. Of course, one would be used in the Old Testament, and it would be the Hebrew word. The other would be used in the New Testament, which would be the Greek word. Now, the Hebrew word for this final hell is the word hinnom. Hinnom, H-I-N-N-O-M. <clears throat> and that word, uh, by the definition of it, is a place of burning. A place of burning. And it comes from the Aramaic word maleka which means king, M-E-L-E-K-H, Meleka. And you think, how do you get a place of burning out of a place of a king? And, and that goes to the historical reference of what we're talking about. The place, there is a literal earthly place that was referred to as Hinnom, 
uh, and it was a valley southwest of the city of Jerusalem. Yeah, southwest in the Hinnom Valley, as it was, is what it was called. Uh, and it's where the Canaanites worship their gods Baal and Molech. And of course, Melecha is the Aramaic word for king, so Molech kind of fits that. Uh, and they would worship these gods by sacrificing their children in a fire that burned continually, uh, or continuously. Uh, now, Israel, it, in seeing how the Canaanites lived, um, adopted this practice under the kings Ahaz and Manasseh. And um, this goes right back to... Uh, the, the historical meanings and everything uh, when Israel first come into uh, the promised land and God told them make sure you wipe out all the people uh, wipe out everything of their possessions uh, you know that he didn't want any uh, symbols anything that could be turned into a reference of worship left behind and of course when Joshua came in <clears throat> excuse me, uh, they left some people in place. And as it turned out, these people influenced the Israelites, not the other way around, as we would think. Uh, and, and we try to convince ourselves that that's what would happen, but it doesn't happen that way. These people influenced the Israelites. Um, it, it came about in, in the books of, uh, I guess it's in 1 Samuel, actually, where it is. Uh, the people looked around them. They saw how the Canaanites lived. They wanted a king. And God said, I'm your king. You don't need a king. I'm your king. Now, well, we want a king. Everybody else has a king. We, we have the right to have a king. And God says, okay, you want a king? All right, we'll, we'll let you have a king. So they had Saul as a king. That's how he became king. And uh, Saul... Uh, you know, for whatever intent purpose, I, it, it did every, just about everything wrong, uh, consorted with uh, sorcerers and, and witches and all this kind of stuff. And actually, uh, the last straw was he actually went into the temple and kind of participated, kind of took the actions of the priest upon himself. And God drew the line there and said, you're going to die. And that's how David became king. Uh, <clears throat> and then years later, uh, when these kings Ahaz and Manasseh come around, the Canaanites are still there. Uh, the Israelites are still being influenced. And in 2 Corinthians 28, 3, it talks about, Moreover, he, talking about King Ahaz, burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burnt his children in the fire after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. This is a king of the nation sacrificing his very own children to this false god. And it wasn't just him, it was Manasseh. 2 Corinthians 33, 6 says, And he, talking about King Manasseh, caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Now that does not mean, the. I know there's this thing you see about people walking on the coals of fire, that's not what it's talking about. When they pass through this fire, that means they were offered up as burnt sacrifices, as as children's sacrifices to these gods. A verse goes on, it says, Also he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft 
and dealt with a familiar spirit and with wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And, <clears throat> excuse me, in Harper's Bible Dictionary, dated 1952, uh, it says about this practice, and I quote, the Israelites may have absorbed from the Canaanites a feeling that they owed their firstborn to God. As an example, Abraham and Isaac, end quote. And so you kind of get the feeling uh, or the understanding a little bit, maybe, of how they were tying what they knew of worship in with what they were witnessing of another kind of worship and melded it together. And it's it's how uh, worldwide religions or, or nationwide religions or, or religions of that type work. They take a little of each and mix them together, and you see signs of each one in what is the result. Uh, and, of course, the result's never good when you mix anything holy with anything unholy. Uh, it's just it's never good. It never comes out right. Uh, now, Jeremiah used this place as an example uh, of the level of destruction that God would bring on Jerusalem, saying the valley would be known as the Valley of Slaughter, the Valley of Slaughter. And this is uh, written in Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 31 through 34, where he says, And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I commanded them not, neither came it into my heart. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they shall bury in Tophet till there be no place. And the carcasses of this people shall be meat for the fowls of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth, and none shall fray them away. Then will I cause to cease from the cities of the earth, uh, uh, or the cities of Judah, and from the streets of Jerusalem, the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, for the land shall be desolate. So those are pretty strong uh, terms there uh, when mentioned this place of uh, Hinnom. Okay, now in the New Testament, of course, the Greek word I mentioned it before was Gehenna, uh, and it's spelled G-E-E-N-N-A, Gehenna. <clears throat> now, the, uh, it, it's made up of two words. Gi means valley of, and then enna is hinnom. So it's the Greek form of the word hinnom, the valley of hinnom, Gihenna, Gihenna. Uh And the definition there for the Greek word is a valley of Jerusalem used as a name for the place or state of everlasting punishment, also referred to as hell. Now, in the time of Jesus, this valley was used as the garbage dump of Jerusalem. It was used for garbage, uh, all types of filth, dead bodies of animals, executed criminals. Now, to consume all this, the fires burned there continuously. Maggots were crawling all over the place. Wild dogs howled as they fought over scraps left in the pile. And when the winds blew from this direction over Jerusalem, the people could smell the awful stench. And, and you can imagine, I don't know if you've ever smelled burning 
flesh, but it's it's not a very uh, pleasant smell by any sense. Uh, and Jesus used this awful scene as a symbolic reference of what hell would be like. And that was in Mark chapter 9, verses 42 through 48. And he said, And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. So here we see Christ uses uh, three examples. Um, talking about cutting the hand off, cutting the foot off, plucking your eye out. And he ends each one of them with this same phrase, uh, or very close to the same phrase. It says, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. He says that three times. So that is uh, very important as a reference. And, and you ask, well, how could a worm not die in fire? Well, I, and I, I'll tell you, I, I looked extensively and tried to find it. I, I can't remember where I saw it, where I heard it. I, I know it was a documentary of some kind on volcanoes. And if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, done in Hawaii. They were studying those active volcanoes. And they, they were surprised to find in that lava that there were worms living in that stuff. Now, you know where lava comes from. It's actually liquid rock that comes from the center of the earth. And you ask, well, where is this chamber uh, held today? And, and most people think, we don't know for a fact, but I think you could really lend to the, the idea that the core of the earth is, is where this hell is today. Now, it's not, I don't think it's the place of the lake of fire yet, because uh, the Bible's clear that the people are going to be that have died, who were not saved, that are in this first hell, are going to be removed from there, joined back with their bodies, and then they're going to have to stand at this great white throne judgment before they're cast into the lake of fire. But I, I personally believe that today, uh, hell is in the center of the earth. Uh, it, it, the atmosphere is right. The conditions are right. Uh, the elements are there. Everything that's needed for what a place like this would contain are, are there. Now, and that's not saying it's a fact that it is there, but it, it just seems to fit. And uh, as I said, this lava, uh, and I really do, I wish I could find uh, the document or, or the paper or, or the study that was done that found it, uh, and I would certainly give it to you. Uh, but there's also uh, another study that's done in the floor of the ocean. Uh, these vents down there that release lava or, or hot gases, 
from the center of the earth. And, and there's these huge worms that uh, grow around these columns and, and they can only live where it, there's this intense heat. Uh, that's the only place they can survive. So, <clears throat> excuse me, to say that a worm can't live uh, in these conditions, uh, we're basing that off of what we know, off of the earthworms we see and things of that nature. So uh, there's different kinds of animals out there. Uh, now, repeatedly, Jesus spoke of outer darkness and a furnace of fire where there will be weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. Uh, one of those uh, examples is in Luke chapter 12, verses 27 through 28. He says, but he shall say, I tell you, I know ye not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. Now I want to point out three words that Jesus uses here to describe the response of those facing hell. Those three words are weeping, or three phrases, words. Uh, the first one, weeping. The second one, wailing. And the third one being this gnashing of teeth. Weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. And they all refer to, uh, again, the response of those facing hell. The first, the word weeping refers to the past life, refers to the past life. Now, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is uh, beki, beki, I guess it is, b-e-k-i, b-e-k-i. Um, and it comes uh, from another Hebrew word, which means a dripping or an overflowing, and it means a continual sobbing. Uh, there, there's no end to it. Constant sobbing. Uh, the New Testament word is kleo, K-L-A-I-O, kleo. <clears throat> and that means to sob, uh, to wail aloud, or to be well. Not B-E-W-E-L-L, -L, but be well, B-E-W-A-I-L. To moan, that sort of thing. And that, that's the type of weeping that we're talking about. Um, the second word, wailing, that is in reference to our current condition or, or the current condition of those facing hell. Uh, in the Old Testament, the word used for that is uh, the Hebrew word misped or misped, M-I-S-P-E-D. And the E is long, so it's uh, misped, I guess, misped. M-I-S-P-E-D is the Hebrew word. It means a lamentation or a mourning. It comes from the word uh, safad, S-A-P-H-A-D, which means to tear the hair and beat the breast, as the Orientals do in grief. Generally, it means to lament, and by implication, it means to wail, W-A-I-L. Uh, the New Testament word is the Greek word penteo, or pentheo, pentheo, yeah, pentheo, P-E-N-T-H-E-O. This word means to grieve, or the feeling or the act uh, of mourning, to be well, to experience sorrow in the sensation or the impression of usually painful, to feel the passion, to suffer, to vex. So that describes the uh, wailing part. 
And then the final part of that is that phrase gnashing of teeth, gnashing of teeth. And that refers to the concept that once they realize their position is that they are in a future with no hope. They're in a future with no hope. And that's talked about in the New Testament only. <clears throat> and that is the Greek word uh, brugmos. Brugmos. Uh, B-R-Y-G-M-O-S. B-R-Y-G-M-O-S. And it means a grating of the teeth. Grating, like they rubbing them, grinding them together. Gnashing of teeth is a grinding of the teeth. Uh, now, in his commentary on the book of Matthew, William Hendrickson describes the phrase weeping and gnashing of teeth as, and I quote, the tears of which Jesus speaks here in Matthew 8, 12 are those of inconsolable, never-ending wretchedness and utter everlasting hopelessness. The accompanying grinding or gnashing of teeth uh, denotes excruciating pain and frenzied anger. This grinding of teeth, too, will never come to an end or cease, unquote. So that, uh, I know it's kind of short, but that wraps up our study uh, of this thought of what happens when I die as it pertains to the three realms. Uh, now, we will continue this study uh, and this thought with uh, looking into the uh, three resurrections and that's quite an interesting uh, uh, study because I'll, I'll, I'm going to try something. I have uh, some audio that I'm going to play for it that goes with it. And so I'm going to try that and, and hopefully it works out. I hope you can hear it. Uh, it it's, it's great. <laughs> it's great if it, if it comes out right. Okay, uh, I'm trying some different things here. Uh, not not because I'm just trying to change things up, but but it goes with this. I, it was great when I played it in Sunday school when we went through this study. Uh, it, it was phenomenal. So hopefully you get the same experience that we did uh, as we did it live in our Sunday school class. So hopefully that works out. But I hope you've enjoyed that part of it. This is basically, I guess you would say, this is the first half of the study, and uh, I sure appreciate you listening. Uh, I hope that you're getting something out of it. Uh, if, if nothing else, the desire to, to study the Bible on your own. Uh, I hope you're learning. Uh, that's what it's about, is learn, learning God's Word. That, that's what we're here for. Okay, uh, I'm going to uh, stop here and pick up the next thought at the next episode on these three resurrections, talking about those. And I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you have a great day. God bless you. Thank you for listening.